Cairo, Seattle. Hey, welcome everybody. It's the second episode of Bark. And we talk about dogs here, and I, I probably, if you missed the first episode, uh, you can download that when you get a chance. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like dogs more than people, and I, I assume that, that you do, too. I'm here with Aaron Mason. He's my producer, engineer, and hand holder. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Yeah. How you doing, Aaron? I'm okay. You ready for episode number two of Bark? I can't wait. Yeah. And Bark got the name from Dave Pridemore, who's who's my boss, and he came <laughs> up with this... Uh, Crazy idea of just uh, talking solely about dogs for 20 or 30 minutes, and uh, I'm really enjoying it because I'd rather talk about dogs than just about anything else. And later in Bark today, we're going to talk to Gary Carlson, who made the largest donation in Oregon State history, $50 million to the vet school there because of his love of dogs. Can you imagine? That's amazing. $50 million. Yeah. And we talked. And we talked about it. I should have, you know, and, and we taped the interview previously. I, I shouldn't take you that far behind the curtain. I get a kick out of that, though, in the sports talk shows, and I do one in the afternoon here, where we always have to, we try and fake like we're doing it live, and I, I never, I, I don't understand that. That is something that shocked me, was how much content they make appear to be live is not actually live. Well, why is that? Is it because, well, I know that, you know, with TV, that guys need to go outside of a stadium or an arena. And sometimes when they're on the East Coast for the 11 o'clock news, they're out there shivering at 2 a.m. <laughs> Just because, you know, to, to make sure that they're live, it's breaking news, but... Uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's not that big a deal to me. No, uh-uh. I mean, we talked to Gary Carlson last week. We did. And, we taped and, it. We did. And we're going to make it sound like <laughs> it's live part of the show. Is that what we're going to do? Uh-huh. Okay. All I right. mean, I guess. We'll try and do that. We well, the reason, the reason I brought it up is because I, I, I have question regret, interviewer regret, regret that I didn't ask him, you know, so he donated $50 million to Oregon State, like I mentioned. I was thinking about asking him, why did he donate $49 million to Oregon State and give, give me $1 million? Because I was thinking if Gary donated $1 million to me, I would uh, you know, retire and move to Spokane. But here I am doing the Bark Podcast, and uh, we'll get to Gary Carlson here in a second. And I wanted to tell you a quick little story that I have about my own. It's not really my own donation to Alpine Animal Hospital here in Issaquah, Washington, and to the Kitsap Humane Society, which is over in Bremerton, Washington. And it was made by a baseball player who used to play for the Seattle Mariners. His name is Jeff Cirillo. And Jeff owned, at the time, he had a Bernese Mountain Dog, which I have a golden retriever. And I forgot to mention this, too. Last week <laughs> on the first podcast of Bark, I thought it'd be cool to bring in River, my my new... He's an English cream golden retriever mix. He's a beautiful dog, He's in, and I love him. I miss my old boy who died a year and a half ago, but have River now. He's 10 months old. I thought, well, it'd be fun since it's a dog podcast called Bark. Why not bring in my own dog and add to the ambiance of what we're doing here? Sure. And and did he add to the ambiance? It was great. To, I liked his his barking and... Yeah, he kind of, he, he wanted out because the window's on the doors here and he'd see people in the hallway and he'd want out, so he'd kind of howl. He added a real lively energy to the proceedings. He did, but you notice that River's not here today. Nope. Yeah, River is up in my Honda Ridgeline at the top of the hill, waiting because we're going to go to Marymore Park over in Redmond, Washington. Oh. They've got an off-leash area there and I'm going to take him there after we're done with Bark. But the reason he's not here today is because we, we had a, some trouble. <laughs> At the end of the first episode, because (laughs) 
Yeah, I didn't know. I, I blame you, Aaron. Me? Because you you were sitting right here. My back was to where he was. Right. I know I'm the owner, but I'm a negligent owner at times, and, and my eyes were away from him. Anyway, so River tore some holes in these little carpet squares <laughs> in our spanking new podcast studio. Yeah. Didn't he? Uh, he did. He was, yeah. he, was, he was right behind you, and I look over, and I see him. And he's got his face in the ground, and I think maybe he's nibbling at his paws or something. Mm-hmm. But the way his head's moving, it didn't feel like he was nibbling at his paws. And Well, when you saw the head moving, did you think to check it out? I got up! Did you? I was behind you. There, I'm not on mic for the last, like, five minutes of the show. Because <laughs> I'm trying to pull this dog who, who was just latched in, man. <laughs> he was not letting it go. He, he brings in sticks and all kinds of stuff at home, but but it was kind of funny because after the after we got done with the first episode, I went over there and looked at the damage, and I was trying to replace it like I was out on the golf course, like a divot or something. Yeah. And then I thought, well, no, that's not going to work. And then what you suggested, put, pulling a chair over it and <laughs> and trying to act like nothing had happened. And then I thought, well, this would be stupid if I got fired for dog damage so I, I came clean with it and uh and told the uh the engineers and i'm not sure there's still a hole over there but i i thought maybe i should leave river in the car and he can just do damage he's he's damaged my back seat he's kind of torn up the back seat but then it's my own damage so it's not company and so i can i can get away with it so getting back to jeff cirillo though he was a really good third baseman he came to seattle 2001 he had a great year in colorado he hit 313 2002, though, he went down to 249, his first year with the Seattle Mariners. And at the time, I was writing a column for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, and I heard Cirillo one time, and he was complaining about the manager, and then he criticized a sports writer over in Bremerton. And I just, I I couldn't believe, I I just was upset with Jeff Cirillo. I thought thought he was a jerk. And uh, so I wrote a column ripping him. Yeah, I did. (laughs) And then I made a bet with, with readers, is how it started, that Jeff Cirillo wouldn't hit 280. He wouldn't average 280 in the year 2003. And I was offering a round of golf and lunch at Trophy Lake over in Port Orchard, Washington. And and uh, some readers responded to it, and they bet that he would hit 280 because he was a 300 career hitter before he got here. So then the phone rang one day. I'm, I'm over at my house in Port Orchard, and lo and behold, it was Jeff Cirillo calling me. Okay. I hadn't called him. Somehow he got my number through the Mariners or whatever. And he wanted to take me up on the bet, too. He wanted a part of the bet. <laughs> and so I thought, well, okay. And so we worked something out where he said he would hit 280 or better. And if he didn't, he would donate $10,000 to the Alpine Animal Hospital in Issaquah, like I mentioned. And well, he actually goes, he goes, I'll don- donate 10000 And I just thought, how about 20000 <laughs> And he literally goes, okay. And so I thought, well, all right. So 10000 to the Kitsap Humane Society, too. And so we made the bet, and uh, he was giving me a hard time. He thought it was pretty rude what I was doing, but he just wanted to – He it, it turned out to have a happy ending. Not so much for him, but for for me and for Alpine Animal Hospital and Kitsap Humane Society. Because the year that we made the bet, <laughs> Jeff Cirillo hit 205. Oh, no. Uh, he hit 205. He had an injury. He struggled. It, it got into his head. He ended up – he honored his bet. He was really cool. He called me. He came out to Alpine Animal Hospital. He posed for a photo wow. with the main veterinary uh, person there, and then he, the director, and then he, uh, yeah, he gave a $10,000 check to Alpine Animal Hospital, 
gave me another $10,000 check to give to the Kitsap Humane Society. Wow. And he was just terrific about it. Fantastic. Now, if I had lost, were you thinking what would I have had to pay? No, you weren't. I was play, play along here. Be a good teammate. I, I was wondering. So, Cirillo, if I had lost, all he wanted from me was to rake the leaves in his backyard what? and wash his car. And I was going to make a $250 donation to his favorite charity. And I was going to give him a $100 gift certificate to the Salish Lodge for breakfast. That's it. That's it. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was cool about it, though. And so he, he posed for this picture. And then he was traded to San Diego. And the Padres play at a place called Petco Park. Sure. And so he said, isn't it ironic that I donated $20,000 to dogs and now I'm playing at Petco Park? So Jeff Cirillo, I've stayed in touch with him uh, via Facebook. I think he's a scout. Is it with the Diamondbacks or the Angels? I'm not sure. But that's my story about donations to, to animals and dogs in particular. Now, Gary Carlson has his own story. And uh, we talked to Gary, as I mentioned, last week. You mean live right now. You mean live right Let's now? Let's take a call from Gary. <laughs> Gary's calling right now. All right. The reason we're, we want to talk to Gary today on Bark is because of something. I was just on Facebook one day, and I, I, I happened to see Velvet Withers, who's uh, a friend of mine, and her husband, Bud, used to work with me at the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. And she posted something on Facebook about Gary and the donation that he made to the College of Veterinary Medicine at Oregon State University. And it's the largest donation in Oregon State University history, $50 million to the College of Veterinary Medicine. And so I thought, man, I really want to talk to him. He, a fellow lover of dogs, and boy, just uh, everything that he has done for Oregon State, and he joins us now here on Bark. And Gary, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you. Now, Gary, what uh, can you take us into how this all came about, where you decided one day, well, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to make this donation to Oregon State. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of over the years I was thinking, what would I, what could I do to make my life um, kind of uh, uh, more fulfilling and and upon my death um, leave a good footprint, you know, and I... Originally, I was thinking more about trying to find a cure for cancer or something like that, but the money I had probably wasn't going to make a, much of a dent. So um, I, I heard about the veterinary college at Oregon State, and I met the dean, and she was so nice. She was just unpretentious, just really. You tell she cared about not only the students but the, the, the animals, you know. She was just really a great person, and I just liked the vibe you got from her. You could tell she was just a really good person, and I thought, gee, that's perfect I I love animals, and we just started talking over a couple of years, and I was going to give that donation upon my death, but, I, you know, and I thought, you know, I'd like to see it now. I knew it would make a big impact at Oregon State, and if I gave it somewhere else, it may not. So I guess I did it for selfish reasons. It made me feel good. Uh, well, good for you. I think it makes a lot of people feel good, because uh, I, I wish I could do something like this, too, and... And I, have That's you always banks like me? Yeah. <laughs> well, you grew up in Portland. You're an Oregon State grad, and uh, I imagine that uh, what when you were a kid, you you always. Uh, when did your love of dogs start? Oh yeah, I was raised with uh, dogs, and um, you know I was kind of an only child, so my best friend was my dog. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so just uh, how can I love dogs? You know they. Always there for you, and just happy to be in your company. You know, couldn't buy what you get for dogs. 
for a billion dollars, they didn't have dogs on the road. You know, you take them for granted. And we were talking about the other day, uh, I was talking uh, to Bob Stelton, who's a, another, he's, he's a host of a midday show here at 710 ESPN Seattle, and uh, we were wondering if we like dogs more than people, and we both agree that we, we do. Uh, do you feel, <laughs> feel that way, too? Yeah, I didn't agree with you. You know, there's great people, too, but dogs are more consistent. Yeah, they certainly are. Now, you're a physician at Dermatology Associates at Westlake Village, and what, what made me wonder was, did you think about being a veterinarian? Uh, No. Never did. It's uh, I really I started out in engineering and I didn't like that. So, um, was, fortunately I was had good grades and I was able to get into medical school. But um, I don't know if I'd like to be in a vet. It'd be too hard for me. It's like to see a dog or animal suffer. You know, it's um, and you can't reassure them like you could animals, humans. You know, humans you can they know you're looking out in their best interest. Dogs they kind of I mean they're intuitive too. But if it, you're taking care of a dog you don't really know, then and you see them scared. It'd be hard. Maybe and then seeing seeing the owner, whoever suffer, because you know that's like one of the worst things when your when your animal dies. Well, it's so going to be kind of hard for me to do that. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I you know I've had I've had three golden retrievers, and uh, my last one died about a year and a half ago. And it's 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 as you know, you've gone through it. It's it's one of the toughest things ever. I still haven't. I don't know if you ever get over it. I've got a nine-month-old golden retriever now, and uh, I saw a picture of you. And you've, you've—I know you have a Maltese, and I've—I've I've been around Malteses too. My mom and dad had a couple of Malteses while I was growing up, so I know they bark a lot. But you—you you, you have other dogs too, don't you? Yeah, I've always been more of a big dog person, and you know, I had a wolf hybrid before. You know, she passed away, but she was like my favorite animal ever, and unbelievable. But then have a, an Alaska Malamute is probably bigger and stronger than the wolf. And then my girlfriend has these Pomeranians and Maltese. And um, so is that, is that, but you know, they they say the smaller the dog, the bigger piece of your heart they take. You know, they're around you all the time and, you know, they're easy, easier maintenance. So, yeah, I guess I kind of, kind of fell for a Maltese. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember about the Malteses though that, that you definitely had to keep on top of the grooming or they'd get matted pretty easily. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. So there's a little maintenance there. Yeah. So Gary, now tell us what, what's been the reaction? What, what have you heard? Have you heard from friends and family and, and other people, I imagine around the country, because again, you know, the largest donation in Oregon state history, uh, to the college of veterinary medicine, I imagine there's been some great reaction to it. Yes. I, I got a lot of positive feedback and in general, I, I think I focused on announcement more in the Northwest and then, you know, I'm kind of private and uh, modest. I don't like people knowing my business that much around, you know, where I work. I, you know, I work in what's a village in Malibu. So mainly it's been people from the Northwest, and but some of my patients I've found out too, and it's been really encouraging. Everyone, everyone's been um, uh, super excited for me. Well, what do you think it's going to be like? And maybe you, I don't know if you've had the chance yet or whether they put up the new signage, but uh, when you go to Corvallis and you drive by and you see the Gary R. Carlson College of Veterinary Medicine. I'm going to ask why I wasn't bigger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I went neon. I told you I went neon. <laughs> Well, bigger well, than you. I mean it. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should have do- you could have donated to the athletic program and renamed Research Stadium. Maybe, uh, boy, they need it. But yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Boy, it, it's fantastic though, Gary. I really appreciate your time today, and I just I, I can't get over what you've done. Fifty million dollars to largest donation in Oregon State history to the College of Veterinary Medicine there, and and thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I have to go rob another bank, but thank you. Okay. <laughs> And Gary, you said you were going to be boring. Before we got on today, you said that you were boring, but you're not boring at all. Oh, well, hey, I appreciate uh, the conversation. I hope I get a chance to meet you. Anytime, and I appreciate it. No, it's really true. I do hope that I get a chance to meet Gary Carlson someday. Anyone who wants to donate $50 million because he loves dogs is someone that I definitely want to meet. I don't know if you saw this story, Aaron. Did you see this story? I usually... uh, well, usually we haven't been doing it this long, but I typically will send you a link to the stories we're going to talk about. So I'm assuming maybe you didn't see this story since I did not send you this link. <laughs> but there was <laughs> there was this story out of Detroit, and I, I love stories about dogs being rescued. You know, people being rescued, that's cool too, but I like the ones about dogs being rescued better because I like dogs better than people. <laughs> uh, 15 of 17 dogs were rescued in a house fire in Detroit, and I... I noticed, uh, I just think it's great when people, uh, firefighters, paramedics will risk their lives, especially, I mean, going in to save these dogs. And one of the paramedics, Todd Scalfani is his name. He saw that some had stopped breathing and uh, administered CPR. He says, it doesn't matter if it's two-legged or a four-legged life. I was doing CPR, one in each hand. And it got me to thinking, what, uh, what lengths would you go to? To save your dog. Would you, I talked to somebody last week and I, I forget, I'm not, I can't believe I, uh, of course, you know, I'm getting older, I forget things. Uh, but this woman told me that she went back in even after firefighters told her not not to and that yeah. they wouldn't save her. But she went back in to save her dog. What, what links would you go to, Aaron Mason, to I, save your dog? I mean, you never know until you're in those situations, I guess. But I can't imagine not running in and trying to trying to save my dog. I would do the same thing. Yeah. I would do the same thing, even if the firefighter told me, look, if you go in, we're not going to save you if something goes wrong. I went, there was a story, I, I didn't look it up today, I think it was about 10 years ago, again, when I was working at the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and I just happened to to notice in the obituaries section one day that there was a woman who went hiking with her dog, and the dog was on a ledge, and she went down to save her dog from where this ledge was she saved the dog and she ended up dying when she fell no and it was down in olympia and i felt kind of strange about it well not kind of i felt really strange about it i went to her memorial she Hmm. didn't i mean no one there knew me uh i didn't know anyone there but i just wanted to find out more about someone who risked her own life for her dog. And I just remember going down there and sitting there and taking notes, and I felt like people were maybe looking at me going, well, who's this guy? We don't recognize him. But I thought it was really cool that someone would do that, and I wanted to find out more about who she was. And she was a young young person, too. She was only in her early 30s. And uh, these are the types of things. I I always wonder, though, you know, because I'm I'm a huge dog guy, and I, I wonder how far I would go. There's only one story I have that will tell you how far I went with one of my dogs, my previous golden retriever, Willie. He went blind his last year. He uh, suffered from pigmentary uvitis, which is a disease that golden retrievers 
can get, and they're finding that it's predominantly seen here in the Northwest. And so if you have a golden retriever, one of the messages I want to get across in Bark is if you have a golden retriever, no matter how old your golden is, have them checked out. Go to not just your regular vet, but go to an eye specialist. Northwest Animal Eye Clinic is where I... I took Willie, and they have offices in Kirkland, Washington, and Renton, Washington. But I'm sure that wherever you are, that they've got eye specialists for animals and for dogs in particular. And have your golden checked out, because my golden was, uh, he was blind the last year of his life. And I still wanted him to swim, though, because he <laughs> loved to swim. Uh-huh. But I would take him swimming, and the first few times I took him, and it was in the wintertime, and he still liked to swim in the lake and in Puget Sound. And so it, it went okay the first few times. And he, he came back to shore. Well, there was one time I was at Lake Washington, Newcastle Beach Park, and he swam out. And I started yelling to him. And he was losing his hearing, too. And it was in February. He, start, he started swimming out, and he kept swimming. And then I kept yelling, wanting him to come back. And he wasn't coming back. And he kept getting... I was thinking, man, I might have to swim all the way to Mercer Island to get him if he doesn't come back. And finally, I just made a decision. I just thought, well, okay, I'm going to go now rather than if he gets two or 300 yards away from me. We probably, anyway, I jumped in. (laughs) I threw my shoes off Uh -uh. and I jumped in. And it was probably, I don't want to make it sound too dramatic. I probably swam. I probably swam 50 to 100 yards, somewhere in there, something like that. Respectable. And uh, what was your time? Yeah, he was. (laughs) As I grab onto his tail when I get out there, and you know he couldn't see me, but I could tell he was startled. Like, oh, what's going on? What are you doing out here? I pulled him back in, and we were shivering, and we both went to the car. And after that, I got him. I went to one of the Grange stores and bought him a a long old leash, like a a, I don't know, it was about a fifty foot leash, so that the next time after that, I would take him and then still have him on a leash. Yeah, sure. But yeah, that's that's the only. I mean, it's nothing like you know trying to save your dog from from a fire, but. Yeah, that was, uh, I miss him. I do, I miss him. I I, uh I miss my, you know, that's one of the reasons I bring up pigmentary uvitis because it was something my vet didn't know about. And then when I took him to the eye specialist, uh, they were were on it. They diagnosed him right away. He ended up, it's one of those things too where you get, you get the pressure built up in the eye sockets from this disease. I think Mm -hmm. it's from glaucoma or whatever. And and so then there's pain associated with that, and they believe the dog is suffering from headaches. And so ultimately what you do, you, you give them drops. Now, if you catch it early, I think things can go much better than in my case. I didn't catch it until he was 12 years old, and that's one of my regrets. I, I want to try and get the word out about this so that it, you don't have to go through what I went through. And um, But then you end up having the eyes removed, which sounds awful. Right. But it helps the dog. Yep. And um, I'm I'm on this group uh, on Facebook for blind dog owners, and it's really people really help each other out. If you have a blind dog, uh, I w- would advise you to get on blind dog. Uh, it's a group there on Facebook. But yeah, it's it's startling when they come home though, when you see your dog without any eyes. But it's for the betterment of the dog. So it's uh, it worked out, and it was really he he was uh, I think dogs when they go blind. They probably do better with it than their owners do, mm-hmm. and and he adjusted fairly well. I follow. Um, I don't know how big a social media guy you are, but on Instagram, I follow a lot of people that foster animals. That's mm-hmm. just something that I think is really great. And um, a, there's one person in particular who 
uh, deals with blind cats a lot. And I swear, if you didn't know that these cats were blind, you can't tell by the way they move around. And I, I haven't seen too many dogs in that situation. No, but I think it's similar. It's but similar. I think so. Yeah, he ended up finding his way up and down the stairs to our bedroom. Mm-hmm. And there was a day, and I took a video of him, and I, I even I had some tears over this, but he, he found his way into the laundry room, out to the garage, out the dog door, and then outside so he could go to the bathroom and then back again. Uh-huh. And it was really cool. Uh-huh. It was, I, I mean, I was really happy for him that he was able to still still function. And then I, I always tried to take him you know, in my truck like I, like I always did when he was able to see. It was more difficult, but it was still fun anyway. I hope it was fun for him, too. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of Bark. It's our second uh, show here. And next week we're going to talk to Danny Shelton. Mm-hmm. And he's a defensive tackle from the Cleveland Browns. He used to play at the University of Washington. Cleveland's having a tough time. The Browns are having a tough time. He's uh, involved with a pet insurance plan. And I want to get into that at some point on Bark, too, because I I wonder about pet insurance and whether it's something that I should get for my own dog, especially since he's nine months old now and all the different things that can happen. It's one of the things I want to look into, and, and hopefully we'll have more information about that for you. But Danny Shelton, is he owns four dogs. And one of them is a pit bull. And I just was, I asked him about it and I thought, yeah, I think there's a misperception about pit bulls. I know that I'm a little startled and, and I'm not really, I, I keep my distance from pit bulls, but I don't, I don't want to feel that way. I want to find out more about them. And uh, Dan, we'll talk to Danny Shelton about that. And we'll also talk to somebody, hopefully, from the American Pit Bull Association to find out about the misperceptions. Because I'm assuming that if, if pit bulls are mean, that it's more the owner and not the dog. So thanks for joining us today, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Bark.